Do you love someone struggling with an addiction? Have you felt like it's your fault? Are you exhausted from sleepless nights, from being lied to and manipulated? And are you frustrated from arguing and fighting with this person when you're only trying to help? Well, it's time for you to step off the addiction roller coaster for good and learn a solution that works. Join addiction experts, hosts of the popular podcast, The Addiction Solution, and authors of The Freedom Model for Addictions, Mark Sharon and Michelle Dunbar, to learn a solution that will provide you and your loved one freedom from the addiction battle for good. It's called Families Moving Past Addiction Masterclass, and it's a three-hour live online exclusive event where you'll hear information about addiction we guarantee you've never heard before, and that's great news. If you love someone struggling with an addiction, then this masterclass is for you. For more information or to enroll, click the link provided and register soon for the date that works for you because each class will be limited to just 50 participants so we can best serve you. Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. Enjoy listening and watching as addiction experts Mark Sheeran and I cover controversial as well as helpful topics on addiction, how to move past it, and other related subjects. As two of the co-founders of the Freedom Model, Mark and I will give you a completely new perspective on the topics that matter to you. We will take to task the Recovery Society's lies and misinformation and replace them with facts, research, and the methods to move on from addiction struggles without 12-step meetings, rehabs, and the shackles of endless recovery. Let's escape the treatment and recovery trap together and learn to be free. Welcome to the truth. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. And I'm Mark Sheeran. And we have a guest today from the Doctor Patient Forum. It's Beverly Schechtem. Is that did I Schechtman. Schechtman. I can never get it right. <laughs> that hard. It actually just sounded out. <laughs> Hi, Bev. Thank you so Hi. much for being with us today. You're welcome. Just by way of introduction, the Doctor Patient Forum is an advocacy group for chronic pain patients, right? That's part of it. Yeah. 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 All right. Bev is going to give us a little bit because, because our audience, as you know, our audience knows, you you know, we're, you're primarily on the side of things of struggling with addiction. Right. And, but a lot of our audience also understands that if you have any history of, of, of substance use disorder, or even now substance use disorder in your family, you may actually, and it's actually likely that you're going to be denied pain medication. Right. Opiate pain medication. Yeah. So, okay, Bev, explain to us how you help people. So we started actually as a Facebook group, uh, Don't Punish Pain Rally in 2017. And now um, in 2019, we opened a nonprofit, the Doctor Patient Forum. And our mission is kind of like changed a little bit over the years. Uh, And now it really is mostly about dealing with abandoned patients and people who are forced tapered because, you know, you have a group of patients who are on opioids, uh, whether there was some form of like liberal prescribing or not, you have, you know, the number was eight to 13 million in 2016 that they estimated and they're just cutting them off. Like they're either arresting the doctors or the doctor's retiring or the doctor's afraid. And they're just like literally cutting these patients off and they have nowhere to go. And uh, so that's, we, we usually help those patients for the most part, but it also is 
lately it's been even a lot of people without chronic pain, just in acute pain, because now they're not giving opioids for um, post-op, like major surgeries and stuff. So yeah. it's mostly hearing from people in pain. We do deal with people with addiction who have chronic pain also, because, you know, if they're on like Suboxone or, or Methadone, and then they go into the hospital for an acute issue, a lot of times they not only don't treat the acute issue, but they also stop their medication, the same like they do for- yep. Right. For pain patients, which is just ludicrous. So that's mostly what we deal with for the most part. And then we also work with doctors who have been targeted, um, who were prescribing, who've been targeted by the Department of Justice. So we work on both ends. So so for our mm -hmm. audience, just so so people understand, um, this isn't the sort of thing that well, well, I'm gonna actually, I'm gonna have her tell her story because yeah. I think I think it'll frame it best. I think yeah, so. Too. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Let me just add this really fast before I tell my story. Um, a lot of times people think that we're like teaching how to manage pain, like pain management centers, and telling those doctors what they should or shouldn't do. And that's not at all what we do. There are other organizations who do that, like U.S. Pain and different organizations. We aren't teaching people how to manage pain. We're basically standing up for the pain patient and. Um, trying to prevent harms to them that come from the way they're being treated. Uh, but I, uh, I have Crohn's disease. I've had it for 20, probably 30 years now. And uh, I get chronic kidney stones with it. And I was denied opioids in 2017 in the hospital in Raleigh, North Carolina. And uh, that's actually how I first found Claudia, who founded the organization. She had been on a Crohn's group where she was saying, hey, I'm noticing people aren't getting medication much anymore. And so mm -hmm. she started talking about it. So I saw that she had done that. So I just called wow. her sobbing from the hospital. I was like, oh, my gosh. And it was probably the most traumatic experience I've ever had in healthcare. And I was you know, in and out of the hospital, sometimes several times a month for like a decade because my Crohn's wasn't managed and I was having, you know, kidney stones and kidney infections. Oh my God. But this specific incident, it was awful. Like it still traumatizes me. It's from 2017. So I, uh, you know, I tend to get kidney stones sometimes several times a month and then I'll get kidney infections and then I've become septic before. So I did have pain medication at home. I had, I, it was actually several kidney stones that were passing um, in my ureter. They weren't big enough to require surgery, but big enough to obviously cause pain. And the way it always worked is my doctors would always say, if you, if the pain medicine you have at home isn't working, if you can't keep it down, if you spike a fever, you got to go to the emergency room. Mm -hmm. Because with, with Crohn's, they treat you with immunosuppressants. So if, if we get septic, it could right. be really fast. So that's what happened. I had uh, an infection and I had several kidney stones passing and I wasn't able to keep my medication down. I mean, I tried and I just, I couldn't. So I went to the emergency room like I always did before. And the ER doctor, she was actually great. I mean, she treated pain. And she was like, look, I'm gonna, uh, I'm going to admit you for pain and nausea control. Cause I also vomit when I have kidney stones, I can't keep anything down. Yeah. They're and, painful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And she's like, I'm going to admit you and, and do pain control. And then hopefully you'll pass it in a few days. And then you could, you know, go on with your life. And which was typical. Um, and I actually really, did, I brought my pain medication with me to show the doctor because I knew things were already getting weird and I wanted them to know I'm not asking you for a prescription to take home. I already have it. Here they are. Here's my oxycodone. Um, and the ER doctor was great. And then the hospitalist who 
they suck, but the hospitalist walked <laughs> in, so they're awful. Um, and upon entering, entering the room, he said to me, he didn't even introduce himself, by the way. He just said, hey, I looked in your prescription history, which he was talking about the, the database, the PDMP. I looked at your prescription history and I noticed that you have gotten Ativan pretty regularly for the past so, so many months or whatever. And he's like, what's that for? And I, I was like, well, it's, I mean, it has nothing to do with why I'm here. So I don't, you know, what's right, right. What asking me this? And he was like, well, I need to know what it's for. And I said, it, it's for childhood, like P, from PTSD. And he was like, well, PTSD from what? And I was like, it, I mean, I was like, yeah. because I'm like, what are you talking about? And he said, well, what is it from? And I said, childhood. And he said, was it childhood sexual abuse? And I said, it was. And he was like, I can't give you opioids now. Oh my God. He said, you're too high risk of addiction. I won't. I won't take part of that. Uh, he said, I'll give you what you get at home, but IV pain medication changes your brain chemistry, as does childhood abuse. Putting those two together, you're too high risk, and I'm not going to take part of that, <clears throat> part in that. And so I said to him, like, if you think that I'm, you know, abusing these medications, just do a talk screen. Like, you'll see I have in what I'm supposed to. And he's like, oh, I already did. We already did that. And it's it's what it should be. And I was like, okay, then I don't understand the problem. Do you think that I'm faking? He was like, no, we see the scans. We have the blood in your urine. Like, we know what's happening. But I just can't, I can't give it to you. It, it puts you at too high of a risk. And then he said, um, he punched me on the arm, actually, like does love tap and said, you know, you'll thank me someday, which I haven't at all. Oh but my God. He did make a deal with me and he said, you know, uh, I'll admit you and I'll make a deal with you. If what we do doesn't work, I'll give you what you need to get out of pain. And I was like, okay, I mean, that sounds fair. So now I was shaken. Like I was like, this doesn't, you know, cause now I feel like I'm being re-traumatized. Yes. I'm being blamed for something that was not my right. fault yeah. um, by a man with yes. no women's room. So I get into the, into the, into the room and it was probably the worst 24 hours in a hospital I've ever had. And I've been septic. I've had surgery. This was the worst experience I've ever had. Um, the nurse treated me like crap. Like I was a criminal <clears throat> when I was crying. She told me to stop crying. In the middle of the night, I was, it was so bad. And so I called to talk to the doctor because I was like, well, they said they'd help. The doctor comes in and she says, um, you're here for Crohn's flare up. And I was like, no, I'm not. And see, that was my first clue that what the hell, they don't even know why I'm here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, I'm here for kidney stones. And she's like, well, then why aren't you getting opioids? And I was like, that's a good question. And she's like, of course, I'll give you what you need. I was like, thank God about 20 minutes later, the nurse comes in saying the doctor changed her mind. She's not giving it to you. Oh my God. It was really I bad. And I cried during the night. I mean, I have a pretty high pain tolerance, but kidney stones hurt. They just Oh my God. Yeah, we I both bet. had them. We've yeah. he and I both had them. Yeah. There's oh nothing God. you can do. You there's no position that's comfortable. You can't do anything. <clears throat> and so I was sobbing and I asked for Ativan because that's the prescription I had at home. And she was like, That is not to treat pain. I am not giving it to you. So she refused my actual medication. <clears throat> at home that I get. And so the next morning, a different hospitalist comes in and he was worse, much worse. He was this older white haired man. And he treated me like garbage. Like I've mm. never been talked to like that in the healthcare system. And so he starts reprimanding me immediately, but this is a teaching hospital. So he has like all these people around him while he's reprimanding me. And he's like, um, 
you know, no one g- gives opioids for Crohn's, for um, kidney stones anymore. They just give NSAIDs, which I'm like, that's bullshit because my husband just had them and he had all the opioids he needed. And um, I said, plus I have Crohn's and they, they tell you all the time you're not supposed to take NSAIDs with it if you can help it because right. they can cause GI That's right. That's and right. he's like, that's a lie. That is not true. That's not how it is. I'm like, how? The-? So my whole life with Crohn's, they, they lied to me about it. Like, that's just not the way it is. And so he treated me like crap. And then finally I said, he said, I said, I need to go home. And he was like, finally, something we agree on. And so then he um, did his whole spiel. If things get worse, come back. And I was like, I would never come back here. I'd rather die at home from a heart attack than ever come back here. And then he threatened me. He's like, you're lucky I don't hold you for suicidal ideation. Um, Oh my God. And then, um, Basically, he discharged me. I called Claudia sobbing, and that's how that started. And then, you know, last year, Wired did a, uh, an article and included this story, and I had to get my medical records for it for fact checking. Let me tell you something the shit he put in my medical records, he put in there that I threatened to kill myself just to get IV medication. He oh said, I told God. him I would do anything, even hurt myself on purpose to get IV drugs never said it, never would say it. He said, I out and out refused any non-opioid medication. Didn't happen. He offered me NSAIDs, which I said I couldn't have. So he, there was like one sentence in there saying, patient has confirmed kidney stones in the ureter, passing their cows, blah, 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 blah. And about four paragraphs about what a piece of shit I was and how I was drug seeking and suicidal. But my question is this, why didn't he call for a psych consult if he thought? Why didn't he call for addiction consult? Right, Why didn't right, he call right, my doctor right. to talk to them if they thought I was suicidal and was struggling with addiction? They didn't. He just wanted to be an ass and he didn't want to give me medicine and and, and he, he succeeded. And I did, you know, I called, I filed a complaint with patient advocacy, not knowing that they just worked for the hospital and they didn't do anything about it. Right. Um, and by the time I got the guts to call a doctor, uh, a lawyer, um, you know, the statute of limitations were up. It was past the three years. And so there was nothing I could do. But that's what got me into this whole thing. And oh, that's a big thing that that's yeah. that, that's huge. So so yep. tell us um, how how did that experience then dovetail into you, you met Claudia yeah, and, and tell us now about what Claudia and you do now. Yeah. So, um, I called Claudia from the hospital sobbing and we've talked a million times a day since. Um, and she, you know, we were, we were seeing other people going through this. And so she's like, you know what, we need to have a protest. We need to get media because she had passed this protest outside because someone left their dog outside in the cold and they had like all this media. And she's like, if we can huh. get this media for a dog, surely people are going to care about, and I love dogs. I'm an animal lover, but she was right. just saying yeah. like, surely. Yeah. You could get it for people, but that's not what happened. But we did. We planned a protest in every state at the same time, all 50 states. We pulled the permit. We learned how to do it. We opened state pages in every state. We've had, I think, six or seven rallies now. But media wasn't interested. They wouldn't tell this story. They don't want this story. Media wants Mm. a kid got addicted from a Vicodin, from a wisdom tooth surgery. He shot heroin the next day and died. That's all they care about. That's all they want to hear. So So why, why do you suppose that is? Tell, tell the audience why, why yeah, how the, why the narrative yeah. now exists. So that that's the narrative. Yeah. So, you know, for a long time I went into research because I was like, why the hell did they not give me opioids? Because I was abused as a kid and I'm in my forties. Like what, 
something doesn't make sense. So then I did a ton of research and I found uh, risk scores and all of this and years and years of trying to figure out these, what they're doing. Um, and that was the same question I had, what you're asking. I was like, but what is their end game? Like, why are they doing right. this? Right. And so we came up with definitely the addiction, um, you know, the very unregulated addiction treatment center industry is huge. And then um, a little bit later on, we realized the litigation narrative and multi-district litigation, which is bigger, that's by the time it's all said and done, they, they think they're going to bring in over 100 billion. And it's already, yep. been, I think, 61 billion. So it's all about the litigation narrative. And, and, and in order to make that litigation narrative happen, there were some things they had to prove about drugs. And they based it on tobacco. They claimed to base it on tobacco. They kept calling opioids the next tobacco because that was that huge settlement. And yep. it was the first big... Um, but the difference is opioids have medicinal purpose. Tobacco doesn't. Tobacco was right. over the counter. Opioids aren't. So they had to counteract that. They had to make it sound, number one, that doctors give them out like candy, which is why you hear that every second of the day. And number two, they they had to make it sound like they don't work for pain, which is why you hear that. And, and then in addition to that, they have to make everyone who took it a victim. So that's the hijacked brain theory. That's the, you know, I had no choice. My doctor gave me one pill. And after that, he should go to prison. And, you know, I should get $5 million. And, you know, that that's, that's what happened. That's why I think it is. And they're still pushing it for those reasons. I mean, the Listen, they started a new industry of opioid elimination. It, it really yes, is. It right? really is opiate prohibition. Yeah. We're seeing opiate prohibition. So, yeah. so, but what's behind, why, what's behind the lawsuit? Who's gaining from <laughs> the lawsuits? Our government, first of all, obviously the lawyers, the attorney general, my state alone is getting $1.4 billion, which he says every second he's on the television. Um, so that wow. money is one. Uh, and then, you know, the lawyers also, and, and if you dig into it, you'll see the, the big lawyers like Motley Rice and all these people who, who, who were due, who were going to benefit from it. They all donated a ton of money to the senators who pushed this mm. narrative. So they donated to the people to push this narrative and then benefited. So that's one big reason. And then another reason is just industry. I mean, you know, and, and I'm a, I'm a, I like Suboxone for people with addiction. They should have access to it. It's fine. They should have access. I agree with that. I'm not saying I don't, but Indivier is the shadiest company I've ever seen, but no one wants to talk about it. So it's all, it's industry, treatment industry, unregulated in treatment rehab industry, litigation and then it goes right back into the treatment industry so this money is going to go to prevention you'll hear them say yep. it's going to prevention and treatment so it's going to go to all these unregulated industries and it's going to go to fund prohibition further because to them prevention means prohibition so it's it's bad so well, so go ahead well i was going to say and in in the the true victims in all of this okay so this this was all set up based on the myths about addiction in general right yep. the addiction treatment industry is is this 45 billion dollar industry and and so the the real victims in all of this are people yes actual real yes people yes. individuals and and this is all set up so that all these Oh, you know, the, the tort lawyers and the pharmacy, even the pharmaceutical industries. I mean, it looks as if 
the opiate pharmaceuticals are suffering, but they're really not. They're getting paid off in a backhanded way. Well, yeah, and and they they're shifting to Suboxone, right? Lifelong Suboxone. Yeah. So what they're doing is they're taking they demonize opiates, right? right. I mean, isn't that that what's happening? Oh, yeah. Here? Oh, and, yeah. And and, and yeah. so they they have the bad guy. You need the bad yeah. guy. Yeah. And you need the distraction of the bad guy in order to build a new industry yes. where. With opiates, you know, what they saw coming down the pike was fentanyl is killing all these people. And people thought the narrative was it, it's opiates, right? Right. People didn't make the distinction of what actually was happening. Now, if I'm wrong on any of this, Bev, you're the expert in this arena. So just yeah. cut me off. Yeah. Um, and then, and then, so now they have the bad guy. It's opiates. It's opiates. It's, I mean, we heard it. Yeah. And the hijacked brain, you know, is constant. It's such a lie. It's yeah. all a lie. I mean, it's all a lie. Yeah. And and the the person with cancer is suffering. Yeah, and yeah. they see they didn't. The thing is, it's not the people's fault that they didn't understand what was happening. Because right. let That's me right. tell you, when they came out with this figure, the CDC shady is. Oh, anyway. for sure. Yeah. They came out with this figure around the times of the CDC guidelines saying uh, thirty four thousand people last year died um, from a prescription opioid overdose. Right? They said it. They said it. They they. And then about a year later, they were like, oh, crap, we messed up. We counted illicit fentanyl as prescription. Ooh. Yep. Right, yeah. But all the laws were made already and everyone has already been programmed. So and they've done this in the past, the CDC. This isn't the first time they've done this. Like, whoops. So. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah it seems to be the pattern. <laughs> yeah. I think CDC is just. Oh, sorry. That's, That's okay. okay. I think the CDC is really just a front, honestly, for uh, mass tort litigation. I mean, yes, they just course. take yeah. from industry. They push the narrative that needs to be pushed. That's not to say they don't have any great people working there, but I think as a whole, it's it's pretty shady. But yeah, that's exactly what happened. And, and they miscounted it. Most states miscount it. And you'll notice they don't ever say this amount died from prescription opioids alone. That's they don't right. That's right. That. My state doesn't even count it. Yeah. And, and when you look at, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah. Well, and when you look at just pills. Yeah. You can't find it. Yeah. No, it doesn't exist. Yeah. yeah it, I mean, they, 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 don't count they it. sort of, they sort of mix pills in with heroin and now it's mixed with fentanyl and yeah. add a well, van. And, and, well, and, yeah, yeah. And it's, poly it's, it's poly substance typically right. and alcohol is usually right. in the mix. Right. Yeah, but you know who wouldn't be dead? The people who took a pill thinking if it was prescription, if it actually had been a prescription pill, they'd be alive. Okay. They wouldn't be dead. That's but they, right. they like co-opted these. They co-opted these parents' grief. They right. they like exploited. I I have two teenage girls. I can't imagine losing one of them. I know. So I, I know. my heart breaks for these parents, Me but too. they don't realize they've been completely taken advantage of. And the way they push that narrative is by bringing the moms, exploiting the grief, going to the FDA That's with these right. angry moms. And they said to them, you know, they said, this is how you are going to prevent another parent from going through this. You have to make it so they don't allow prescription opioids. Even if their kid never took a prescription opioids, they uh, opioid they still they still convinced them. And that's how they pushed it. That's how they pushed the narrative. It's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. about about 10 years ago. Well, no, it was probably now uh, maybe around 2005, 2006, because my kids are in their mid to late 20s now. And so they were preteen, mm -hmm. you know, middle school aged. There was an ad that all of a sudden showed up and it was everywhere. From, it was everywhere. Everywhere. It was from the Partnership for Drug Free America. Oh. 
And yeah, which you can, and you can't find this ad anymore. Like I've looked for it on YouTube. It's totally disappeared, but it showed this guy on a street corner with a hoodie and it said, and it, and it was this after, like it was this, like during the after school specials. And I just happened to be oh home with gosh. one of my kids who was sick. And this ad was like, your kids don't have to go to the corner drug dealer anymore. They can just go to your cabinet. Right. Yes. <laughs> and then Do you remember? Yes, and then in New York, they have these huge billboards. Yes. A kid at the dentist chair saying, would you give your kid heroin? Yes. Give your kid a Vicodin. I mean, I mean you know, it's so bad. There's even, there's a Michigan Open in Michigan. These people pushing for no opioids or few opioids after surgery. They did a musical in high school where people dress up like Vicodin bottles and they sing about the harms of prescription opioids. It's so, it's such bullshit. It, but I mean, they, they yeah, they 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 did it. I they mean, created it. It yes, was so created. It, it was there yes. was the agenda started That's probably right. in the late nineties, early two thousands. I mean yep. it, that where it, it was almost if I if I was a conspiracy person, which I'm typically not, I'd be yep. like, holy cow, this was set up. It was. And we go so far back. It was run by the attorneys general, by the National Governors Association, by all of these people. They ran this on purpose from then. I mean, I could picture them all sitting in a room saying, oh, this is so exciting. We're going to get so much yes. money. We're going to get so much money. So how do we do it? What do we do? And and they came up with it. And drug-free communities, by the way, that was one of the pillars. If you look at the um, ONDCP uh the national drug strategy and then the prescription drug abuse drug strategy 2010 2011 drug free communities was one of the pillars of their strategy as was the prescription drug database wow. data analytics and law enforcement they planned this before they, yeah. they created a fake crisis and they planned it before and they planned it they needed a lot of deaths and they created all these deaths wow. It makes, yeah. it does make you wonder about the, you know, fentanyl kind of showing up on the scene around what, 2006, 2007, yeah. you know, that just kind of showed up and all of a sudden, you know, deaths skyrocketed and Raider, yeah, it all kind of fit perfectly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an interesting thing, you know. Uh, I've always been good at seeing trends in society. It's just a gift that I have. I can honestly say that. Yeah. And I saw the end result, and I called the end result, which is this shift to Suboxone and Gabapentin, right? This this weird shift. Yeah. And now I see it in the addiction world, which is the end of the line, okay? We're at the end of the line, the recipients of this sad thing that's happening. Now, I'm not opposed to somebody taking an opiate or Suboxone or Methadone or anything, whatever helps. I don't give a yeah, crap. Yeah, it's between you and your doctor. It, it, it is, it is. And and the reality is if I was coming off a of heroin, I would want some Suboxone to wean off and it's a helpful drug. Would I want it for a lifetime? I wouldn't because it's not necessary. We know from the data, it's not necessary to be on it for a lifetime. But here's what's interesting. The narrative quickly switched. Once Suboxone was the accepted drug for heroin, you know, medicine, right? For your addiction. Addiction medicine. Which which it has a place there. There's yeah. no doubt. As a stopgap measure, it's a, it's a great thing. But all of a sudden it became all about lifetime. 
And I, I, I predicted this. And it became the, the panacea for pain. Yeah, which is craziness because it's it doesn't work for, for pain. All of a sudden, yeah. they're pushing that it works for depression too. They're pushing it completely. Yes. I do believe in Suboxone. If people want, want or need to stand Suboxone for life, I'm all for it. Like, I don't care. Like you said, I, I think they should have access to whatever it is that works. Right. But I, yeah, you're right. I mean, and the thing that they're not saying is the, the vast majority of these people who are taking Suboxone for life, they would do a lot better with a clean regulated batch, of, like like supply of heroin. Yes. Full agonist that works for them. Um, if they could get clean regulated heroin, I would imagine some of them would rather that than Suboxone. That's right. Well, I, yeah. And Divier I, funds it though. And Divier funds all of these like American Society of Addiction Medicine. And Divier completely funds that company. 100%. I would I would have no problem with the lifelong Suboxone movement if they told every single person it wasn't absolutely necessary that they, they that that's it wasn't a lie. required that's that it's required medicine yeah. that that yeah. so well if somebody says you know what i want to take suboxone for the rest of my life okay. it's no different to me than saying i want to take heroin the rest of my or life or i okay. want to take oxys the rest or of my life or i want to drink for the rest of my life there's no yeah. difference yeah. the difference is the agenda and the lie, yeah. that part bothers yeah. me because then you take people who ordinarily would have a moment in their life with heroin, a moment in their life with Suboxone, and then go, right. you know what? I don't need this. I'm ready to yeah. move on with my life from this whole era. Yeah. But that's not what's happening. Uh -uh. It's everybody needs this for life. Yeah. And that's, it's so, that, I agree with you. That's a problem because people don't realize that the vast majority of people who, who were who would have been diagnosed with a substance use disorder at some point in their life, they stop on their own without anything, without any intervention. Right. And I am for it, you know, for people to have access, but they needed our country to think that the That's second right. you take an opiate, That's second right. you have an opioid, you're on the street shooting heroin and then you're murdering your family. Look at this Murdoch trial. Look what, look right. what they did. Oh, I into. know. Yeah. No, opioids do not make you murder your family. That's no. Not, you get a Vicodin for, for oral surgery, you're not going to murder your family in a couple days. It's just right. not, it's not how it works. If you're going to murder them, then it's not because of the opioid. But I, I, yeah, I agree with you. I definitely do. And now, like you said, the push is for Suboxone for, for pain uh, as the only thing for pain. And right. the VA came out with these recent guidelines, updated oh, guidelines no. over the summer. They just were pushed again a few weeks ago um, where they said nobody with chronic pain in the VA should ever be on a full agonist opioid, only, only buprenorphine. That's the and only the, thing they should ever be on. And the, and the crazy part is, is that the withdrawal is twice as bad. Yeah. You know, so, so yeah, their argument, their argument for opiates, but half the argument is this yeah. withdrawal issue driving use. Right. And here you have a drug that get is harder to get off of is being pushed for a lifetime and that you need it or else you're yeah. going to end up this, you know, drug taking zombie that kills their family, you yeah. know, and, and yeah. the whole thing is packaged lies Yes, and, and it's super sad. It's, it's super terrible. sad. I agree with you. It's a terrible thing. We just watched a, I just watched, cause I tortured myself watching these presentations and, and webinars and these anti-opioid <laughs> idiots. Yeah. And there's, there's one in Michigan and there were like four videos a few weeks ago on how to switch pay, all pain patients to Suboxone. To be oh my God. Yeah. So yeah. this guy, literally he's, he's a doctor teaching other doctors. And he was like, look, opioid induced hyperalgesia. I don't know that it, it, it's a thing. He's like, we have no evidence behind it at all. Uh, but patients don't know that. He was like, so 
Just tell your patient that that's what they have. He's like, this is how I do it. I draw a picture and I make up this whole story about how it shuts things off in your frontal cortex and the downward and the eye. And he like makes up this whole thing. And he's like, most patients will be like, sure, that there must be some truth. My doctor wouldn't make it up. And he's right. like, the ones who don't, the ones who push back, they have serious psychological issues and they're, you need to treat them for addiction. That's what he said. And this man, he said, anytime a patient says I need more medication or my pain is worse, that's the time to uh, remove them or put them on Suboxone. And he's talking, taking people from two Vicodin a day and pushing them on Suboxone, which makes absolutely no sense. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah. But it's, but it, it is the movement. I, you know, I want to make a point for, for our audience here. And one of the things when, when we talk to people about what addiction is and what it isn't, a lot of times we're, you know, the argument for addiction, the brain disease and the hijacked brain is because it's supposed to reduce stigma, right? That was, that's the goal. When you really look at all the data and the research, you know, most scientists and doctors will admit, okay, it's not a disease like we know disease. Right. And the brain isn't hijacked. And the brain isn't really hijacked. So that, that most of them, if, if they really are critical thinking, you'd all know that. So, but here's what we're seeing is exactly what you and I predicted 30 years ago, which is, no, it didn't reduce stigma at all. Not only did it increase it because the stigma is now surrounding any substance use at right. all, Correct. And, you know, from, so it's, so now, yeah, the whole thing, if you have to take an opiate, it's stigmatized. People should not be scared to go to the emergency room and say, I broke my arm. I'd like something for the pain. Yeah, you can't do that, whether or not. And when people have with addiction issues go and they get their pain not treated, they think it's because they have SUD. It's not. Nobody's no. getting their pain treated now. And I agree with you. They didn't remove stigma. Also, no. that money, it's not going to go to helping those who need it. That nope. money is going to go to our government and fund an industry that's pushing prohibition. That's going to make right. it worse. And yeah, they they just they just expanded stigma. They did not remove stigma at all. And, you know, there's. There's always these this view of there's like pain patients and people right. with issues and they're kind of at odds. And I think the government did that on purpose. They yes. That against each other. Because one thing you'll hear, and I do try to teach patient, pain patients like, stop. It's don't blame them for what the government's doing. But I can see why, because I used to do it too. But one thing that they say when patients are like, I don't have opioid use disorder, you'll see people in the addiction industry saying, why you think you're better stop saying that stop stigmatizing us but the fact of the matter is that they don't understand our government forces the doctor every time they prescribe an opioid they have to prove that patient doesn't have oud because it's oh illegal my God. it's right. illegal so yeah. the reason we have to say it is because the doctors have to prove it and the reason the doctors have to prove it is because of the controlled substance act and you know they need to just get rid of all of that they need they to get rid of, they need so to get rid of all of it so the question is for me, because I see things from the big perspective all the time, right? And I'm not a I'm not a conspiracy guy, but I guess I've developed I am it. now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've kind of developed into wow, you know, there really is shit going on. Yeah. So so the question is the pharmaceutical companies aren't stupid. The CEO of of these companies is looking at it and he's looking at his his stock sheet and he says, Well, we're gonna get taken with this opiate lawsuit deal for yeah. 
$50 billion, right? And the lawyers are getting that money in the government and they're going to siphon out of our account, our insurance company's account, all this money, and it's going to cost us 75 billion bucks. How can we recoup that? Right. So the answer is come up with a drug that is the answer to the thing you're getting sued about. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So because it's all about funds. Pharmaceutical companies don't give a shit about your care. If they no. did half the drugs, they're they're harmful to the body. I mean, yeah. you, look at the side effects that they have to list on some I of these know, things. It's some outrageous. Things. Yeah, they don't care. They don't care. They, and that's become so really obvious in the last few years. Yeah. Right? They do not give a shit. So, um, so from my perspective, it's very simple. And that is we shift everything with this narrative to Suboxone, to Methadone, to, and, and they'll have all, Vivitrol, all, all of it is going to be, and, and, and they're like, oh, harm reduction is the answer. So they co-opt that term, and then they co-opt this term, and then they co-opt that, and it's all about generating cash and a lifelong customer to make up for the losses. That's what this really, from my perspective, comes well, down to. Well, and it's to. about control. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, in the government side of things, it's about control. Yeah, and funding because yeah. with with control comes the funding. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, and I do. I am. A, I do believe in harm reduction. I believe in it. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, we've tried. To yeah. Better is better. Yeah, yeah for sure. Just, you know, stop telling people to stop doing drugs. Like, let them take what they're going to take, and let's keep them alive. And if if our government had done nothing, these people, most of them, wouldn't be dead. Most of them would still That's be alive right. because they wouldn't have died from illicit fentanyl because it wouldn't have been a need for it in the black market. That's exactly, exactly it. Exactly, prohibition. We we've yes. said this when you when you look at the data over the. I mean, gosh, even just the last fifty years, yeah. the the more the the addiction disease narrative has become mainstream, the more yeah. addiction treatment that's available. Yep. Um, the more we've demonized drugs, the more the drug laws are are you know pushing make pushing people into the black market the higher the death rates i mean it's exact an exact so correlation it's so obvious but, but they just double down it. mark they yep. just double down they don't pull back no. they won't stop i mean i don't know how many more people they want to kill did you just did you see that bill that they just they either introduced it or they're talking about introducing it i think it's in california that they want to make it illegal for to completely ban tobacco products for anyone born after 2007 for the rest of their lives. Oh my so God, I didn't see that. Like, what the hell are you? Are you act like? Are they out of their minds? Like that has <laughs> ever worked? What do they want to have another black market where there's more dangerous products? I mean, even vaping, like that whole vaping thing. I know. Died are the ones. Most of them are the ones who got something that wasn't a real product, but they used right. that. They co-opted that. My my state got, I think, fifty million from suing Jewel already. So you know. Well, you know, when when the the mayor of New York City bans thirty two ounce things of soda, you know, we've gone to a place that's absolutely <laughs> bizarre. Well, it's 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 actually really sad because yeah, all of this is killing people. Yeah, keeping people in pain and and the fat cats make the money and look at i'm a i'm a capitalist i'm a libertarian i believe everybody should be entitled but but we need to be informed yeah you know and that's our job that's what we're doing today. yeah we're that informing is what we're people doing. that that when you go to your doctor and you're in severe pain or you have cancer and you're dying and and you want to go in comfort um you should be allowed to do that and and we want everybody to know if you're a heavy drinker, a heavy substance user, we don't judge any of it because it's a preference people build. This isn't some... 
we want to send you a free copy of our revolutionary book, The Freedom Model for Addictions. To help us bring this incredible gift to you, we ask that you pay a small fee for shipping. Learn how tens of thousands of people have permanently solved their addictions without steps or meetings and make 2023 your best year yet. Give yourself or someone you love the gift of total freedom from addiction. Click on the link to get your free copy sent to you today. Are you struggling with a drug or alcohol problem, but you don't want to go to rehab or group meetings? That's why we created the non-12-step Freedom Model Coaching Program in 2011. Through video conferencing on Zoom or Skype, you can work privately with a certified Freedom Model Coach from your home or office on your schedule. And here's the best part. With the Freedom Model, you'll never be labeled an addict or an alcoholic. And we won't tell you to go to 12-step meetings or hamper your life with endless recovery rituals. Instead, you can learn exactly why addiction isn't a disease and how you can solve the problem for good and move on with your life. Do you want to be completely free from your addiction? Do you want to never have to attend meetings, rehabs, or addiction counseling ever again? And do you want to solve your problem from the comfort of home? Then call us at 888-424-2626 to talk with a Freedom Model coach today and experience the Freedom Model difference.